Another edition of Beat the Closing Number presented by TheLines.com. My name is Eli Herskovich. You can follow The Lines on Twitter at TheLinesUS. You can follow my guest on Twitter as well at Kyle the Boone, covering college hoops and NBA for CBS Sports. What's going on today, Kyle? Hey, thanks for having me. Don't don't waste your time following me on Twitter. Uh, this is this is all the exposure you need. Just watch ten minutes of the show and you'll realize that's a mistake. Don't do that. Well, if we're gonna start off with a couple jokes, we obviously have to get to some serious topics with the NBA college basketball yes. in just a bit. But before we get started, remember to give the video a thumbs up and ring that bell to get notifications. Whenever the lines releases a new sports betting video on any market, including Monoir's day-to-day MLB bets, not recording anything today. Those will return on Friday in case you're listening or watching on Thursday. But we're going to discuss NBA draft odds and some college basketball futures as while we're still a ways away from the college basketball season with the NBA draft deadline occurring at midnight Eastern time, on June 1st, so May 31st, depending on where you are in the rest of the country, we're going to talk about some of the big decisions when it comes to guys returning to school and how it affected the futures market, along with a couple big names that left. But Kyle, I, I want to get to another serious topic, and obviously those are fun betting markets, but I don't know how comfortable you will be with discussing this, so just prefacing with that, but something we discussed off podcast was, I think, a very notable story that people may not know about you, and it's your journey through beating cancer, which was, man, I give you kudos and every other word that goes along with that, because I've had family members that went through it, but if you don't mind just sharing with the audience Not what that was like for you, but obviously the positive aspects of the tail end of the journey and what you've accomplished. Yeah. um, So a couple years ago, had a a lump in my testicle, thought something may be wrong. It was really sensitive, swollen, went to the emergency room. I was supposed to cover like a Villanova game that night for CBS. And I'm like, I have to go to the hospital. Like I'll be back here in like an hour or so. Um, have have an ultrasound done and they're like, hey, you have testicular cancer and you have to go to surgery in like six hours. So it's like, okay. Um, so that kind of kicked off what has been just a wild two years. I went through a couple rounds of chemo. I went into remission like six months later. And then basically as soon as they said I was in remission, did some testing, did some scans and it had come back. I had a recurrence in in both of my lungs um, was like stage three B diagnosed for testicular cancer, which is which is pretty serious. So I had to go through four rounds of of TIP chemo um, here in Tulsa, and uh, it was tough, man. Like it was really challenged, kind of my 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 mental fortitude, my spiritual fortitude, make you question everything in life, uh, make me feel a little bit grateful to uh, to be on this earth, and um, so yeah, like it was. Um, it was definitely a perspective changer. It's, got, it's a little bit cliche. Uh, I think people talk about how perspective changes when you have kids or uh, you, you know, start a family or you know, go through a health scare, but it really did uh, change my outlook on, on many, many things. And um, so it's, it's, it's actually been kind of a blessing, I think, in, in hindsight, you know, being able to, I'm, like, I'm communicating with people all the time who have testicular cancer, who maybe have read some of my stuff and have questions or um, just want to check in with me and see what what my thoughts are, who I should reach out to, how my process went. Um, so that that has been that has been good, and it's it's nice to feel like uh, something good has has came out of this process. So if you're a dude tuning in here, my advice to you: it's not a scare, but every month go down, check yourself, just make sure everything feels normal. There's no bumps or lumps. Uh, that's the easiest way to do it. You don't have to do it every single day, um, but just once a month, just to check and make sure if you feel like something's abnormal, irregular, whatever, um, go to the doctor, just get it checked out. Um, testicular cancer is very curable in most cases, but if left untreated, it can be serious. So 
Um, fortunate to be uh, in the two-time cancer survivor club. I hope to God I'm not a three-time cancer survivor, but uh, if if it comes back, I, I do plan to beat it again. So yeah, it's been, it's been a wild couple of years and, and we were talking off air. I, I really appreciate you reaching out the last few years, the encouragement I've got from from you, from people in the media, from random readers and writers and, and everyone has has really meant a lot and tested me mentally in a lot of ways that, you know, I've never been tested. So uh, still working through a lot of things, but I feel like I'm, I'm starting to come out on, uh, on the other side of things. So I'll shut up now. That's a, that's a long rant to, uh, to a very simple question you asked here. No, it's, it's warranted, man. <laughs> Kyle's one of the best people in the industry. So obviously happy to have him on for a lot of different reasons. One of the best college basketball minds and basketball minds in general, but it's a great story. And you're right. Dr. Kyle Boone giving everybody advice that watches <laughs> and listens to the podcast to definitely check things down low. But yep. on that note, Kyle, great transition to the NBA draft and your latest mock draft up at CBS Sports in relation to the NBA draft betting market. You were also out at the Combine in Chicago a couple weeks ago. So curious to get your perspective in the midst of your analysis of NBA draft betting odds. And Victor Wembenyama is the consensus heavy, heavy, heavy favorite, and then some to go first overall to the San Antonio Spurs with San Antonio winning the draft lottery around minus 20,000. So no need to dig into a long (laughs) shot for the number one overall pick, but... When it comes to the second overall pick for the Charlotte Hornets, you have Brandon Miller, who was a dog around even money to go number two overall. Scoot Henderson was the favorite, short favorite, but now it's kind of flipped. Miller is, who was a freshman at Alabama, obviously star-studded and a little bit of news with him in the latter portion of the season, but he's now a short favorite on his end at minus 130 to go to Charlotte and Henderson is around even money, minus 110 in other books. Obviously, the factor of LaMelo Ball comes into play with this pick, you would think. But yeah. why did you have Miller going number two overall in your mock draft? Yeah, to me, I, I think to me, just kind of reading the tea leaves here, Charlotte has a has a pretty nice young core that they can build around. And that's mainly centered around LaMelo Ball at number two. Um, you know, I, I think Mitch Kupchak, who, who's making decisions there in Charlotte, had some comments about you know what what uh, direction this franchise would go at number two. Would they take you know Brandon Miller, who may be a better fit but may not be the best prospect available, or would they go Scoot Henderson, who I think is actually the better prospect, but maybe fit wise there may be some questions next to Lamelo Ball. So I ultimately decided with potential fit. I don't think that's the direction Charlotte should go. But I do think that right now, that's the direction that they are leaning. I, I don't think there's as many questions, though, about how Scoot Henderson and LaMelo Ball would coexist together. So if you get better odds on Scoot Henderson, like I'd be fine just sprinkling a little bit because I think that is an interesting, like you look at across the NBA, like people can make the case that, oh, LaMelo Ball's you know, ball dominant and it's hard to add someone who's ball dominant in Scoot Henderson. But Lamelo's really good playing off the ball. He's a really good shooter. Scoot is a guy who can play on the ball and I think is an improving shot maker, three-point shooter. So I think they both could really kind of play well off of each other. You look across the NBA, like the the Thunder have, you know, multiple playmakers and passers and in Shea Gildress Alexander and Josh Giddy. Um, so I think in the modern NBA, Scoot and Lamelo would actually be a really fun pairing. And, you know, maybe, maybe Charlotte ultimately gives the tiebreaker if they see these two players similar, Brandon Miller and Scoot Henderson, to maybe who they think is, is the best fit, which may be Brandon Miller. But I actually, I think people are still kind of just writing that off as, oh, Brandon Miller's a lock to go number two. I, I think Scoot Henderson at number two actually makes a lot more sense than maybe people are willing to give credence to. Yeah, and the betting market certainly doesn't think it's a lock. At yeah. least in comparison to Wambinyama, right. and that's another story, obviously. But on to the fifth overall pick for the Detroit Pistons, who just hired 
their new head coach, Monty Williams, last night, as in Wednesday. Cam Whitmore is the favorite, but it's very tight, a little bit tighter than Miller and Henderson for the number two overall pick. Whitmore is priced at plus 250 to go fifth overall. And Mm -hmm. Jairus Walker, the one-time Houston Cougar, is around plus 320. And then you have the Thompsons mixed in there as well. And all these guys are, again, very tight for this number five overall pick. I made the case in an article a couple weeks ago that not only is Walker the best fit, I think he is the highest ceiling between (laughs) at least the college guys, Whitmore and Walker himself. And you have Walker going fifth to the Pistons. So explain your pick there. Yeah, to me, I I think Walker is like a very high floor prospect who will be able to make an immediate impact. He's like NBA ready. I mean, he's, you know, six foot nine. He's got a very physically mature frame. He's got a very mature game. This is a guy who, you know, in high school was kind of like a combination forward, plays almost like as a shooting guard, small forward, but has the body of a power forward. So, I think the um, the way that the Detroit Pistons have drafted in recent years would suggest that Walker should be in the mix here. They they tend to to really value guys who can be a playmaker, uh, play both on and off the ball. And you know, look, look at Jaden Ivey, uh, Kate Cunningham, um, Killian Hayes, even. Um, so there's there's a lot of I think you know past evidence that suggests that that Walker should be in the mix here. Fit-wise, he makes a ton of sense. It feels like the Pistons already kind of have their backcourt locked in with Cunningham and Ivy, and I don't know exactly how Killian Hayes mixes into that, but uh, Walker, I think, makes the most sense just from a fit perspective, and I know generally the NBA is really, really high on Walker. He was a little bit inconsistent as a freshman at Houston, but a great shooter, really good defender, can, can defend multiple positions. Definitely a lock to go top 10, I think probably number five is about as high as he could go, but I could definitely see him going at that number five spot to Detroit. Um, they're adding kind of some front court depth to their roster and, and trying to add, you know, pieces next to, oh, by the way, Jalen Duran, who has who has really blossomed and I think was a really good pick for them last year. So uh, I, I like that pick. I, I think, you know, from a roster perspective, he probably makes the most sense. He may not have the most, most value, obviously. I think maybe Asar Thompson... Um, would would maybe be a better bet for just in terms of value, but uh, I think I think Walker um, would make a lot of sense there at number five. What stood out to you with Walker at the combine? Mm. I think he had one of the higher combine scores too. He did, yeah. I you know I talked to someone about Walker and kind of the reviews post combine about him, and 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 I think the reviews were basically like this dude is very lovable. Like he's, he has an infectious attitude. He's a great teammate. Um, he interviewed really well. I met him, uh, kind of in the, in the media session and he was talking about, you know, what he learned at Houston going through, you know, a one and done season with Houston and Kelvin Sampson, who is not an easy coach to play for. And in fact, like historically, Kelvin Sampson really, uh, freshmen do not typically play very much under Kelvin Sampson. And and I think that may be in part because the talent just isn't there, but he's a hard coach to kind of please and, and keep happy. He's really, um, he, he keeps people, you know, kind of in check. He, he likes to keep people accountable. And so he learned a lot from his time at Houston about how to play defense, kind of some scheme stuff. Uh, he learned to play you know, a little bit on and off the ball. He learned how to, to space the floor a little bit. So uh, I th- I think he has a really good head on his shoulders. He has really good perspective. That to me was kind of what stood out. I think, I think from his time in, in Chicago, there's not a lot of questions right about like how his game will translate. If you watch kind of his high school tape and his, his playmaking ability, his, his ability to kind of finish and get downhill, it's really, really impressive. And then you watch Houston, it's a little bit different game, but it, it I think it kind of adds to the bigger picture of painting him as a, a full, complete prospect. So I think that's really exciting. Generally, teams are are really high on him as a prospect, but I think coming out of the combine, people are really excited about him as kind of a person and, and kind of what he brings to the table as a teammate and off the court. Last NBA draft nugget I want to get to is a draft yep. position, and that market is also bettable. You can... Price shop the best odds over at thelines.com. Anthony Black 
His draft position is set at eight and a half as of now. The under is juice, so that means that's betters, or at least the market is expecting him to go at the number eight overall pick or lower in the 2023 draft. The over is priced at plus 130, and he's projected, or at least at the beginning, when a lot of mock drafts started to come out and Intel started to leak, a lot of projections had him going number eight to the Wizards. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm seeing as high as number six as of this recording to the Magic right after the Pistons go, potentially with Walker at fifth yep. overall. You have him as high as I think you have him at number nine to the Utah Jazz, which would indicate an overbet in theory at plus 130. So what makes you think he goes past eight? Yeah, so I, I could definitely see him going before that but here's here's the case basically for why you know the the value that you get taking him after you said eight and a half was the the position right um so yeah the the value proposition is basically like there's a definite top six in my view in this class it's victor women yama scoot henderson brandon miller cam whitmore amen thompson and osar thompson and then you're talking about jaris walker who i have obviously projected at number five I think his range is probably somewhere between like five and eight, more realistically. Um, so you get to Indiana at seven, right? The 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 Pacers. Maybe they take Jarris Walker if he slips. Maybe they take Anthony Black. Not entirely sure how that fit would go with next to next to Tyrese Halliburton. Very like similar players, and I, I think the the pro comp for Anthony Black could actually be like Tyrese Halliburton. Very long. <laughs> kind of a connector type prospect. So maybe some some duplicative skill set. So then you go to Washington at number eight, right? Like basically I think the gamble is is are the Wizards gonna take um Anthony Black at number eight? Like it that's that to me is the over under. And yeah. if you think that he goes there at number eight, then sure. Like I, I understand why there's why there's juice to the under. Um, but I, I think realistically, like there's a number of players that are going to be in the mix here. Anthony Black is definitely not a lock to go at number eight. Like Keontae George would make a ton of sense. If Jairus Walker ends up slipping um, or Osar Thompson or me, even Amin Thompson, I don't think he slips that far. But both the Thompson twins, I think, have really gained some steam during this pre-draft process. So I think you also, too, have to factor in the fact that, like, let's say the Thunder at number 12 see that they really like, let's just say Keontae George and Keontae George doesn't go at five. He doesn't go at six. He doesn't go at seven. And suddenly Washington's on the clock and they're like, well, we like, you know, we like Anthony Black. We like, you know, some of the other players here, but we're not in love with them. And OKC just says, hey, we really, really like X player and we'll trade you a future first round pick to move up four spots what do you say? Like, let's flip picks and we'll give you our future first next year. That would be kind of interesting. I think there's some outs too. Um, you know, maybe if they really like Anthony Black, um, then then maybe the under there would make some sense. But uh, I, I think there's a number of different ways this could go. And, and I don't think just in a vacuum, like it has to be Washington, but I think that is kind of in a nutshell, like how I'm how I'm approaching it now. So uh, yeah, like I, I would probably just take the value with Anthony Black to take the take the over at 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 eight and a half. Like if he falls to somewhere between like nine and twelve, would make a lot of sense. But if he ends up slipping, like wouldn't be surprised at all if some teams like, oh, well, this is the top six player in this class. I'm definitely going to trade some future assets to make sure I can get him, and he may be gettable like in that six, seven, eight range, depending on how you know Orlando, the the Pacers, or the Wizards kind of view. Um, that that kind of tier of prospects in this class. Yeah, and the big thing with Black, at least to me, is he's got to improve his shot. We saw sure. that in the tournament. Really good off-ball defender, really good two-way player, really good shot creator, to your point about Halliburton. Halliburton was probably a little bit better of a shooter in college. Oh, no doubt. Still, very similar profiles in the sense that at each end of the floor and also a shot creation. But the draft betting market, man, is so interesting. I don't know if you remember this from last year with Woj reporting. I don't know exactly if it was the day of the draft or 
the day before the draft off. saying that yep. Paulo Bancaro isn't going number one overall. And then yep. pretty much excluding Bancaro from the number one overall pick. And then little do you know, Steam comes in days before the draft, probably 24 yep. hours, and then hours, an hour before the draft tips off. Bancaro is all the way down to minus 2,000, somewhere around that figure. I think he was as high as 20 to 1 the week or five days before the draft leading up to it. And then all of a sudden, Steam comes in on Bancaro. And now you're seeing more and more sports books, if they weren't already limiting betters, putting more limits on a draft betting market like this. We saw it with CJ Stroud in the NFL draft when he was bet down very quickly an hour or two before to go to the Houston Texans. So this market, man, I know you're in Oklahoma and there isn't legal sports batting. Hopefully knock on wood, it happens sometime soon. But the perspective for you, I'm sure, is intriguing because, I mean, there's nothing you could do about it. Right. Yeah. Like that. That's why I was happy to to make a trip to the combine in Chicago, try and play some bets. Um, I followed the markets like very closely. Um, I love the the draft props market, both in NFL and in the NBA draft. There's a lot of swings. Um, it feels like that market has definitely like tightened up to where um, it's it's pretty sharp and and they will limit. Like they they have a pretty good idea of like okay, Woj just tweeted like this this has to swing things. So. It's very volatile, um, but yeah, last year, like you know, I think several days before the draft, Ben Carroll was like pretty widely seen as like a you know top three pick, but more likely to go like three or four. Uh, and then I think it was the day of Woj tweets something like Ben Carroll is like catching steam and, and could be the number one pick in the draft. For a while there, it looked like it was you know Jabari Smith from Auburn. Ted Holmgren was was maybe in the mix there, and Bencaro just kind of late in that process, or at least publicly, uh, took took the reins kind of as as the favorite. That's not the case this year. Obviously, Victor Wembanyama is definitely <laughs> going number one overall. And in fact, when I was in Chicago, I think there's you know like minus twenty thousand odds. I think yeah. I put like five dollars on it, so I could get like five cents or something, just kind of <laughs> as an LOL. Uh, so I could say that I, you know, I was correct. Um, but yeah, like there, as you go kind of throughout the draft props in this class, there is a value to be had. I, I still think, um, if you kind of game theory and, and kind of go through each position, kind of which team fits where, which player fits where, and maybe, you know, you're even considering in some, some potential trades and, and willingness for, for teams to maybe kick the can down the road. I mentioned Kyle's from Oklahoma. My favorite part of talking in before the podcast was that he said, among all the states in the country to live in, that Oklahoma would be 49th or maybe even 50th, correct me if I'm wrong, that you would pick. And I would, yeah, I've, I've never expected that. Yeah, like most people like where they live. Um, and I actually like <laughs> the city that I live in, and I like the neighborhood I live in. I like my family. I like my friends here. Um, but yeah, like if I'm just like, you know, trying to pick a new place to live and I've never lived anywhere. I have no priors. Um, I'm from Oklahoma. So this makes sense. I have family here, like we have kids. And so it's just easier, but yeah, like, um, I can't think of another state that I would pick. Uh, I, I, I think Oklahoma would have to be 50th on my list. I don't think I'd want to live in Florida, um, for a number of reasons, but, um, <laughs> I still think I would want to live in Florida more than I'd like to live in Oklahoma. So, stop. wow. There you have it. Porter Mosier might be heading out with you. He didn't get the job at Notre Dame, but maybe sometime soon. All right, man, let's get into college basketball. Like I mentioned, the NBA draft deadline was late last night, and college basketball features move slightly depending on which team is the discussion point. Starting off with UConn, and these odds, by the way, available over at thelines.com. If you want to price shop, you could also join the Lions Discord channel to look for our staff bets on college basketball futures and the like. But the defending national champion, UConn Huskies, went from being co-national title favorites, or right around that mark, depending on the book, up to now as high as 20 to 1. And mm-hmm. Adama Sinogo was the first domino to fall, and he was expected to stay in the draft. But that was announced, I believe, officially on Wednesday. Andre Jackson's announcement came later on Wednesday night. Tristan Newton, point guard from the national championship team, also 
in the mix. And you think about Donovan Klingon coming back. He might be a guy that I look forward to win the Wooden Award, just considering mm-hmm. what Edie did last year. And we'll get to Purdue and Zach Edie coming back. But Caravan, I-, I know, also should be in for a big sophomore season and-, and take a leap. But when we think about what this team lost with a deadly three-point shooter that hit a huge three down the stretch to arguably help them cover against San Diego State in the championship (laughs) game and Jordan Hawkins, and then the kind of playmaker that Andre Jackson developed into, especially when he arguably was their biggest liability in that January slump when teams sagged off of him and Dan Hurley had to adjust. And it didn't matter that Jackson couldn't shoot that well in the tournament because he was such a good playmaker off the dribble, especially when UConn got in transition. I just... I, I don't see, I mean, there's little to no value and more so on the no value end of things for me with this Huskies team, especially in a loaded Big East that I want to get to in a second here. But what do you make of the defending national champs? Yeah, I mean, it's just like historically going back to back hasn't been done since Florida, like in the in the early 2000s. So um, take that into consideration. I, I, I think probably the losses of both Adama Sanogo and Andre Jackson on top of, you know, some others, I think is pretty significant. And I talked to to someone at the combine and basically like they were like, man, in terms of like importance and impact of winning on the game, Jordan Hawkins is definitely like the widely viewed as the better NBA prospect. But Andre Jackson is like right in the mix there. And he's he ended up staying in the draft, had a great combine performance, really showed out well. Um and I think losing him is very, very significant. He could end up being like a top 25 pick in this draft class. So um, you're losing two guys who you know could be two, uh, two top 25 picks. Adamas Sanogo, I think, will end up being drafted. Basically losing you know two of your best players in your backcourt, your best player in the frontcourt, the MOP from the NCAA tournament's Final Four in, in Sanogo. So... You have some interesting pieces coming back. Tristan Newton is back. Donovan Klingon is back. And I think Donovan Klingon is going to be an All-American next season. I'm very in on him. Um, but I think the pieces around kind of the the returning roster with, you know, Alex Caravan, Donovan Klingon, Tristan Newton, I'm just not entirely sure. Like, they have the depth and the total talent that the 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 team that won the national championship last season. And that's, you know... Hot take, Kyle. Way to go! Uh, but I, I, I don't. I don't think there's a ton of value there. I'm kind of in agreement with you. Like, uh, I wouldn't wouldn't be surprised if if this is like you know a top three team in the Big East, but maybe not clearly the the best team, and and certainly I don't think on paper uh, the most talented team either. Yeah, and on that note, Villanova yeah. added some key pieces. And by the way, I just want to say this too. Also, shout out to UConn for cashing my national championship ticket going back to November and some of our listeners as well. But Kyle and I have been on the same page for a lot of (laughs) up and coming teams over the last couple of years. They haven't cashed granted, but teams like Texas last year and Alabama, I want to say three years ago, right? With John Petty that lost to UCLA. I will never forget that. I added 80 to one ticket on the tide and (laughs) they're, they can't, they come back. I think Reese, something Reese hit a three with time expiring, and then they lose by 12 in overtime to the UCLA Bruins, and I might have had a second half bet on Alabama as well. So I was not too happy with the Crimson (laughs) Tide. But no, man, you're very in the know, obviously, not just with the NBA draft and the NBA, but with college basketball and trying to figure out up-and-coming teams. And that's that's the whole point in trying to bet these futures at this point in the off season. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough. There's a lot of moving pieces. Eli, like the transfer portal has completely complicated everything. Like there are so many pieces that are still up in the air. P- rosters are still being juggled. Um, so you have to do kind of some projecting. You have to take some stances to really kind of maximize your value. Um, you can obviously look at them at the, at the board, you know, before the season and get a good idea for what rosters look like, where where players players are going to play, which coaches are going to be where, um, and kind of get an idea for how the the media views things in terms of you know preseason predictions and and preseason polls and all that stuff. 
but the value as as you know like it the the value is to be had like in this time of year like in the spring um into the summer where there's still some uncertainty betting on the uncertainty is uh is is i think where like some of the be- the best value is like for example when i was in chicago um i took you know florida atlantic to win the national championship i think it was like maybe 50 to 1 or 60 to 1 um john l davis and elijah martin um this week announced that they are coming back so excited about that ticket i'm not entirely sure that uh, florida atlantic is a national title contender but the team that went to the final four last year could be like a preseason top 10 team like getting that type of value uh, several weeks ago, I'm very excited about. I'm sure their odds have 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 trimmed down since. So, yeah, you you kind of have to take some some stances, some bets, kind of do some projecting, following the markets, following recruiting, and uh, yeah, like I'm sure you do this too. But I'm you know in the shower thinking about like, oh, is Andre Jackson <laughs> going to come back to to UConn? What about Tristan Newton? How does he fit in the Big East hierarchy? <laughs> so it's like you kind of have to be a nerd about it to to really follow things pretty closely. But I think that's kind of <laughs> How you have to follow it if you if you're gonna you know put some skin in the game. I want to touch on FAU. I didn't know how much owls we talk, but yeah, Fort Atlantic obviously a very interesting team because you go back to that first round game, and if Kendrick Davis doesn't get hurt in the final five minutes, I don't know if they beat Memphis considering how the Tigers were turning FAU over in the second half and. I know FAU's offense came to life in the final eight minutes, but the way Memphis was also controlling the tempo in that second Mm -hmm. half, and then Davis just couldn't get a good shot release because of that ankle injury. injury. At least that's what I thought. DeAndre Williams obviously had a big impact for the Tigers as well, and somehow he's going to be coming back, it looks like, for another season of college basketball, like 25 or 26 years old. But 27. 27, (laughs) wow. I... I have no words on how to describe that, but that's the thing with a team like FAU where I kind of steer away from is they're one game away and you could always say they're one game away, but the number I didn't love and don't love the team in terms of being able to get back to that juncture when considering you're a mid-major, you're in a one big bid conference on top of the fact that it took you that extra ounce of injury luck to move on past the first round. And then obviously the number one seed exits and so on and so forth. Right. Yeah. Basically the bet on Florida Atlantic is like a similar trajectory as to how Wichita state was um, under Greg Marshall. Like they're a really good mid-major team. They dominated the the Missouri Valley ended up being like, I think pretty painfully underseeded, got some breaks, made some runs that's exactly what happened with Florida Atlantic this season. They were the ninth seed. They they scoot by Memphis in round one. Like probably should have lost that game. Second round they get Fairleigh Dickinson. You know a, a 16 seed like just who stunned uh, Purdue in in round one. So two like huge breaks just right out of the gate. Um, you know they they get a Tennessee draw that you know everyone thought was uh, was probably fading Tennessee. I was fading Tennessee personally uh, just because the offense was a huge question mark. And then they're able to escape Kansas State, who is like a, a, a really good feel-good story um, and, and advance to the Final Four. So I think next year, like this is the team that won 35 games this season. 35 games, more than anyone in college basketball. So um, going into next year, they didn't start the season, obviously, last year um, as anywhere near you know, a top 10 preseason team next year I think they really will because they bring so many pieces back because they are kind of a known commodity now I think the the more exposure that this team will get because of going to the final four because of the pieces that are coming back because Dusty May has kind of vaulted himself into the discussion as one of the better mid-major coaches in all of college basketball this is a program that if they get anywhere close to you know duplicating the success that they had last season you know, say they win, you know, 25, 26, 27 games in the regular season. They went 28 last season. I think uh, with a very similar resume, uh, the selection committee would, will look at this team and say, hey, we gave them a nine seed last year. That was a mistake. Like, uh, look at some of their, their wins. Look at how they performed in conference play. Let's give them a six or a seven seed. And suddenly, I think 
things the path for them making a real run and and maybe winning the NCAA tournament. Yeah, it's a it's a long shot. Obviously, you're betting on a team that talent for talent really doesn't match up with with a lot of like high major programs. Um, but I can you, I think you could definitely make a case that Florida Atlantic, if things break right and and things did break right for them for the most part in in the 2023 NCAA tournament. Um, I could I could be sitting here this time next year. Uh, a little bit richer with uh, you know sixty to one uh, Florida Atlantic ticket, and by the way, they're as low as twenty five to one over <laughs> at that MGM, and you can find that at thelines.com. I mean, that's there you go. that's a little bit aggressive to say the that's, least. That's a little bit rich. It is, for yeah, me. Like, a little bit, I think that's, a little bit rich. That's that's a pretty reflective of like how they should be viewed. Um, it's one of those things where I th- I think like the 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 smart people probably got in on that at a point where they've, they've hammered it to where there's probably not a ton of value. Um, it's a top 10 team for sure, but, uh, the value probably isn't there right now. So that might be a tough one. You might, you might, uh, ignore my advice here and, and maybe fade FAU at, at that price. 25 to one is, is definitely rich. No, but it's an interesting discussion point because the betting market the comp to Wichita State, I find really intriguing because if there is that fluidity where it is year over year versus a one-year wonder, that's the big question mark with a team like this. We saw it with Butler going to back-to-back national championships. Is it repeatable when you have a, a coach like that? We'll see if Dusty May truly is on that upper echelon level of college basketball coaches, especially at the mid-major ranks, but... He outcoached to me Brian Dutcher in that San Diego State Final Four game, and FAU probably should have won that game. As much as I wanted to see a UConn-SDSU title matchup, didn't get the game that we necessarily wanted. San Diego State made a run in the second half, didn't really matter because, like I mentioned earlier, that Hawkins three. But we digress about the FAU Owls, (laughs) and I want to jump back to the Big East really quickly because... Obviously, some of the storylines otherwise in this conference, Creighton is around 20 to 1 to win it with Cockbrenner back and Trey Alexander, Shireman. They lose Ryan Nemhar to Gonzaga and Kaluma is in the transfer portal, which is kind of surprising. Marquette in the 15 to 25 to 1 range, but I think the Prosper loss is going to be pretty significant considering what he meant to them at both ends of the floor. And then you have Villanova, which is. Between 20 and 40 to 1, I know that sounds pretty drastic, but that's the way the betting market, at least in terms of college basketball futures, works this time of the year, where you add Tyler Burton from Richmond. Mark Armstrong is probably going to mantle the point. Justin Moore, obviously from that Final Four team, and he didn't play in that game against Kansas going back to a couple years ago. TJ Bamba likely off the bench from Wazoo. Hakeem Hart from Maryland. I want to get to the yeah. Terps here in a little bit. And then Eric Dixon, a veteran big up front that could space the floor. So like you mentioned, and like we kind of alluded to, this conference is is loaded, even though mm-hmm. UConn may be good again. The question is, is how does Villanova gel to me? And Kyle Neptune to me is also a question mark because people will say, okay, it's Villanova. You bring in all this talent, but it also isn't Jay Wright. We don't know what Kyle Neptune is. Yeah, I think that's a huge question mark, and probably why you're getting a ton of value with with Villanova. I mean, in a vacuum, like the the pieces are pretty interesting. Hakeem Hart, uh, Tyler Burton from from Richmond is a fantastic player. Like, I think he could be an all conference player, uh, jumping from from Richmond to to the Big East. I think it'd be a difference maker for Villanova. Um, uh, how these pieces gel, I think, is a question mark. How Kyle Neptune handles these pieces, I think, is a question mark. Then on top of that, like the top of the league is pretty stacked. Like you look at uh, UConn, Creighton, Marquette. Like I think I would probably take all of those teams over Villanova. Like Villanova may be the best value, and I wouldn't even mind maybe sprinkling some money on them just because. Um, talent for talent, like they, I think they match up fairly well with with some of the top teams in the conference. But like you said, like you're basically remaking your conference, or remaking your roster uh, on the fly this this off season. You have some some new pieces that are going to play significant roles right away. So uh, 
I am really, really high on Creighton. Uh, Trey Alexander in, ended up coming back, which was to me a surprise. I had him as the number four, number 14 prospect on the CBS big board. So I thought he could be a lottery pick and that's wow. my personal pick. That's my personal like evaluation. That's obviously not how the NBA viewed him. Can't imagine that he would come back to college if he thought he would be anywhere close to a lottery pick. Um, but Nimhard gone, I, I think could be, could ultimately be kind of an addition by subtraction. Alexander, Playing on the ball for Creighton the last two years has been really, really good. He was dominant at the at the NBA Draft Combine, basically getting to the rim at will. Um, him running the point, or at least running the point and playing more on the ball, I think will ultimately be a net positive for Creighton. And then Ryan Kulprinner is a guy who like he came back to school and everyone's like, yeah, he's you know he's a big man. Like, how, I'm not sure how he'd fit in the NBA. I, th- I think a lot of people really thought he would stay in the NBA draft and be a potential top 35 pick. So uh, he's a, obviously a game changer on the defensive end of the floor for Creighton. He can space the floor as a shooter, uh, the inside out game, the kind of the two way game that, that Creighton will be able to play, I think is going to be really impressive. So I like Creighton in, in that conference. I think you you're still getting some decent value, some decent odds there uh, with the blue Jays that that conference is going to be very, very fun to watch next season. Yeah, no, it's a good point with Cockburn. If you go back to the early portion of non-conference play when he yeah. dealt with some sort of a sickness, I'm blanking, uh, Mono, I think it was Mono, and then Creighton went into a big-time slump, the betting market, whether it was game-by-game odds or national title odds, adjusted. And I, I know some betters out there that got around 60-1 to one on Creighton, and they were one <laughs> possession away or so from going to the final four, probably had a better chance to go to the final four. Cockbrenner finished a little stronger in that second half, but I'm not yep. going to argue it because I had San Diego state at San Diego state ticket to go to the final four. So I was very happy with that last foul call that Daria Trebell got not going to question the referees to say Amazing. the least bet that before the Alabama game, but a couple other teams I want to get to. And I, you know, actually going back to Villanova for a second and, when we talk about cohesion and chemistry and the transfer portal, because after every big move in the transfer portal, I'm sure you see this on Twitter, Kyle, up, this team is going to win the national championship. And Kansas may have been at the forefront of that, and they are retaining some big-time pieces, first and foremost with Dewan Harris at the point, and he's going to be a great pick-and-roll match with Hunter Dickinson. But when yep. you think about underachievers last year that added a transfer here and there, and the big one was UNC, which opened the season as the national title favorite. They lose Brady Manick for Pete Nance. Now, there were question marks in the backcourt, rumors as well, going on between Caleb Love, who's now with Arizona, and RJ Davis, so that may have played a role too. But the shift from Manick to Nance was monumental, I thought going into the season, considering how good of a contested shot maker Manic was, especially when UNC went on that title run. Then you think about Kentucky losing Keon Brooks and Kellen Grady on top of the fact that Shibway kind of regressed overall, but mainly at the defensive end of the floor after winning the Naismith, which I thought was pretty surprising. Illinois a little bit with Terrence Shannon Jr. and Matthew Meyer. Florida in a big-time fashion. I took a Long shot, I think, at 200 to 1 on them. But Kyle Lofton, Will Richard, Alex Fudge, who had high upside, and Trey Bonham didn't really mesh super well in the first season over at Florida. So that's the concern I have when you think about a team like Villanova. And maybe it does come to fruition. Obviously, Kansas State is the antithesis of that argument. But there's obviously some pretty good examples of teams that don't develop the cohesion needed to either a make the NCAA tournament in the first place or b go on a March Madness run. Right. Yeah. And I, you make the, the, the comparison here with Kansas state. It's really interesting transfers end up kind of meshing. Well, they make a deep NCAA tournament run. They get, you know, some, some additions that maybe a lot of people overlooked with Marquise Noel, who was, a mid-major player who was tiny, frankly. Um, and then Keontae Johnson, who didn't play college basketball because he had medical issues. They're both, they both end up, you know, being stars and, and kind of catching lightning in a bottle, so to speak. I, I would, I would add to another team from that conference, Texas, 
who kind of built their roster in a similar way under Chris Beard, right? They, they had the huge transfer class uh, two years ago. There's high expectations. Like that Texas team is like preseason top five, top yep. 10-ish. And everyone's like, oh man, look out for, you know, Marcus Carr and, and Timmy Allen and Christian Bishop and Courtney, like all these pieces, Devin ask, ask you at the time was, uh, <laughs> was a big piece. Like that's a throwback. Um, and they were just like, okay. Right. Like they, they end up winning like 21, 22 games. They go on to be a six seed. They lose to Purdue in the NCAA tournament. And it's like, ah, it didn't, it didn't exactly work. And then people question like, should Chris Beard continue to build through the transfer portal? Is that still a way that you can find success? And then what happens last season, you know, Chris Beard ends up getting fired. Um, and it ends up kind of not mattering because the, the roster around, um, Rodney Terry, who took over as, as the coach there was, was really good. I mean, they had, they had some really good pieces that they got out of the transfer portal. Tyrese Hunter was a big addition. Serge Abari Rice was fantastic. I mean, Marcus Carr was good. Um, so, kind of two sides of the coin there. It can go kind of both ways. I would typically tend to fade the fact that like you don't want to bet on you know, a, a full transfer team to just completely lock in and, and be good from year one, but it absolutely can happen. And if it does happen uh, in, in, in the way that, you know, Kansas state happened last season or even Texas, how it happened kind of in year two of, of what that roster looked like last season, um, it, it can it can absolutely hit in a big way, and I think you can get some good value there. And you could argue if the shoe doesn't get hurt, Texas goes uh, to the Final Four. But also, Rodney Terry, when we think about things at a coaching level, Terry got out coached by Larinaga down the stretch in that game of the Elite Eight. And uh, Miami, another team that <laughs> loads up in the transfer portal every single season. But you mentioned Texas, and that's another team I wanted to get to because – they retained Dylan Mitchell at the buzzer, which I thought was kind of surprising. Curious to get your thoughts individually on Mitchell as a prospect there. You bring yeah. back Tyrese Hunter, Max Smith from Oral Roberts. One big-time NCAA tournament run a few seasons ago and then getting ousted, terrible shooting performance and getting outmatched by Duke in that first-round game of the past NCAA tournament. You replace Marcus Carr with Smith, which is a discussion in itself because to your point two years ago under beard Carr was not a good defender and he right. didn't really know how to fit into that defensive oriented system last year even under Rodney Terry much improved at that end of the floor kind of similar story with Timmy Allen and there isn't really a replacement for a Timmy Allen nor Sir Jabari Rice defensively on this roster yes you're getting Shedrick from Virginia, but he's not a versatile four. He's a five. He's a really good defensive five. And he's going to be side-by-side -side with the Sioux, probably coming off the bench and spelling in minutes there. I don't know how necessarily Rodney Terry is going to handle this front court, but this is a team that I know people will buy into because up, oh, you're getting the big-time mid-major score. Max Asmus, I don't mean to hate on the guy, but he's a terrible defender. He's not what yes. Marcus Carr was even at Minnesota, I don't think, which was not good defensively. So that's where I have my question marks for a team that was built on the defensive end of the floor first. I don't see it getting replicated, at least to the level that it was last year when we're talking about a team with a healthy DeSue. Yeah, I think they're going to do kind of a yo-yo from what they were this past season, which was they were acceptable on offense they were passable but they weren't elite they were pretty good on defense though um next season i think they'll be pretty good on offense i'm not entirely sure how the defense is going to work especially if max aspis is playing you know 30 minutes a game and and kind of their their leading playmaker facilitator scorer uh which i think he will be when he steps in next season i mean this is a guy who believe led the nation in scoring at ORU two seasons ago. He is a great shooter, can shoot it from from anywhere. They they his nickname is actually Midcourt Max because he has midcourt range. Um I think his offensive versatility that he'll bring to the table at Texas is gonna be is going to be really good. Getting Tyrese Hunter back I think will add at least some defensive competence to that backcourt. I think he'll be kind of an eraser for Ace Smith in a lot of ways. He's a really good defender. Um 
he's more of a defensive specialist, I think, than than Acemus is, obviously, and Acemus is more of an offensive specialist. So I actually like the pairing. I think they will end up kind of playing off each other pretty well. Caden Shedrick from for Virginia, you mentioned, like I think was a pretty underrated addition. There's a lot of Caden Shedrick fans out there. A lot of people thought that Shedrick should be playing more last season at Virginia. I tend to agree. So I'm excited to see him in a bigger role. Uh, Desu, I think, will will continue to to be very important for this team. And then Dylan Mitchell, who you mentioned here at the top of the segment, I think was a pretty underrated uh, signing to get to get back. Uh, he's he was a freshman last season, former five star recruit, was top ten in his class at two four seven Sports. Um, a lot of people thought he would be a one and done. Saw him at the combine. I thought his shot looked definitely improved and and he tweaked it actually i talked to him at the combine and he was talking about how he he's he's wanting to make sure his elbows in just mechanically he's making some small tweaks it's not like changes but as he mentioned like small tweaks just to make sure he's being consistent with his release how he's getting his shot off so i think he'll be a little bit more consistent i think he'll be able to make at least some sort of leap on offense next season um, and I think he'll be able to play next to Shedrick in in that front court. So I remember headlines from last year where Chris Beard going into the season talking about Dylan Mitchell being you know, just a monster defensively. We saw it at times in spurts. He has some good defensive flashes, but he wasn't really you know, a regular rotation player for, for Texas, or at least not a, a starting rotation player. So um, I think if he can make a leap, you know, the talent is there. Absolutely. I think coming into the season, people expected him to be a potential lottery pick. So um, it may be kind of a, a year of, of delayed satisfaction, gratification with, with the Dylan Mitchell truthers. But uh, if he's able to take a leap and, and Ace Smith and, and Shedrick are able to kind of ingratiate themselves and, and do so in, in, a, in a big way, uh, te- I think Texas you know, to kind of steal a turn of phrase, Texas will be back, baby. I'm I'm in on Texas. I'm not entirely sure I'm going to uh, be riding the Texas train, but I really like that team. And, and I think the big 12 generally is, uh, is kind of there for the taking. Baylor also potentially in the mix for Olivier Kamwa, I believe Kansas state mm-hmm. maybe at the forefront of that. And West Virginia, Michigan has been in the mix, especially with Caleb love decommitting yep. from Michigan after the Hunter Dickinson news, when it came to, NIL and then going over to Tommy Lloyd in Arizona, USC, obviously very intriguing with Isaiah Collier, one of the better point guards when it comes to freshmen incoming recruits and USC retaining Boogie Ellis as well. I want to get to, to wrap it up here. I mean, when we think about the big 12, Houston getting added in LJ Cryer, we talked about what the Cougars were last year, the number one or not the number one overall, but a number one seed going into the NCAA tournament, Duke and Kansas at the forefront of the betting market at around 12 to one with Hunter Dickinson back and Duke not getting a big, like a center to me is the big time question mark in terms of being able to replace Derek Lively, considering what he did for them as a shot eraser at that end of the floor. But big 10 wise, Zach Eady comes back. Purdue is around 20 to one to win it in terms of the rest of the conference news from last night, Illinois as high as hundred to one. I'm not super bullish on them and their long-term aspirations, at least Coleman Hawkins though, and Terrence Shannon jr. Both back Northwestern, who was a fun story last season, chase Audie staying in the draft of boo booey is back. Michigan state is the projected favorite to win the conference, especially when you think about all that they are bringing back on top of the fact that you're getting one big time five-star recruit in Xavier Booker and then Jeremy Fears, who's a four-star guard, I believe, but really good ball handler behind Tyson Walker and AJ Hogard, who's also back. Mm-hmm. I just think the Joey Hauser, it's not even a substitution. It's a loss. And it reminds me a lot of Manic from that UNC team a couple of years ago. I know Izzo is a great coach and I don't think you're going to have the same sort of backcourt issues that we saw with UNC last year, but that was a Michigan state team that relied heavily on contested jump shots. If you look at the metrics and Hauser was a huge part of that. Yeah, he was. I think that's a good comparison and we're comparing white guys to white guys here. So we may be opening ourselves up for a, 
for some booze from the crowd. But yeah, I, I think that's pretty good. <laughs> like Hauser was really, really important and really underrated um, in terms of like how important he was for that for that Michigan State team. Um, they're going to be young next season. I, I think they're going to have a pretty interesting roster, like long term, maybe into the end of next season and maybe into uh, 2024, 25. I really like the pieces that Izzo has, but yeah, so like they're, I mean. Signing two top 30, borderline top 30 players. One is, is Xavier Booker. He's from Indiana, Indianapolis. Another is uh, Jer- Jeremy Fears uh, from, from Illinois. And, and you mentioned him earlier. Um, Booker, five-star. Fears, a four-star. Um, yeah, I, I think there's definitely some, some concerns about, uh, about Michigan State. I think they'll be a tournament team. Um, but they are kind of turning over a lot. And freshmen playing for Tom Izzo, I, I think has kind of been hit or miss. Um, I was really high on kind of like Max Christie when he came in to Michigan state and it was, it was okay. Like he, it was a veteran roster. Um, it, he had some opportunities and, and I think was able to kind of play through some mistakes, which was good for him as an NBA prospect. It was maybe not so good for him or for Michigan state, like as a team in general. So I'm curious to see kind of how Izzo kind of balances that because Fears and Booker like have, I, I think real like potential one and done um, hopes going into next season. And I think there's probably some understanding that they will be able to place through some, some of those mistakes, you know, in, in favor of, you know, replacing them with some, some veteran pieces on that roster. So um, I, I think they'll, they'll be a balancing act. Izzo typically does a really good job with that. I don't want to bury Tom Izzo because he is truly like one of the best remaining coaches in all of college basketball. But I mean, in the, in the big East or in the big 10, excuse me, I, I think there are several other teams, uh, that I would be higher on, including Illinois, uh, from, you know, Terrence Shannon and, and Coleman Hawkins coming back. I really like them. Purdue, I think will be a team that people end up overlooking because they just got beat by a 16 seed in the NCAA tournament. People love to clown on that. Um, <laughs> but Zach Eady is fantastic. I actually stood next to Zach Eady at the combine and literally had to like crane my neck. Like I'm still like trying to work out the kinks in that. He is so big. <laughs> he's so tall. It showed some like shooting touch at the NBA draft combine. I'm curious to see That's if that I will heard, translate. Yeah. Like was, was at his pro day and he's shooting some threes and like looked pretty good doing it. So that was kind of interesting. I feel like the the young pieces on that Purdue roster will make a leap. I think they'll play with a little bit more confidence. The backcourt was always questioned with Purdue last season. Ended up kind of becoming true. Like some of the concerns about that that team and some of the the weaknesses turned out to indeed be weaknesses. Um, but I, I think another year older, I think they'll come out a little bit more motivated. I really like Purdue in in the Big Ten. And, um, so yeah, I, I would take, like, I think I would probably take both of those teams over, over Michigan state, who I think would be several tiers down, um, in, in probably like my big 10 rankings. Interesting. Last team I want to get to in the big 10 is one of the more underrated teams, I think not only in the conference, but in college basketball. And I'm curious if you'll be on the same page with me, considering I wanted to surprise <laughs> you with this since we have hit on a couple of teams that were up and coming over the last couple of years. And when we think about cohesion, I know they're bringing in a couple of freshmen that are going to have to start. One probably was expected to start. The other maybe a little less so just because of a transfer, a late transfer exiting. But I kind of think that was why the transfer exited in the first place. And I'll stop teasing the the team it's Maryland and they're as high as 55 to one I bet them at 70 to one before the whole Dickinson hoopla started to come out they retain Jameer Young Donta Scott and Julian Reese and again it's a long shot it's similar to your FAU logic but Julian Reese if you look at things metrics wise and top 10 center across college basketball from January through April And you're also getting that top 20 recruiting class. Deshaun Harris-Smith, I think, will be the best freshman in the Big Ten. Kaiser, Jamie Kaiser, also probably going to start at the three. And then Jordan Geronimo, I think, has a lot to unlock. Potentially playing some three. I know that might sound kind of crazy to Big Ten hoops junkies, but (laughs) I don't think he really got his chance at Indiana. I know Indiana is going to be a very talked-about 
team considering the five star that they brought in who was considering Kansas and you bring in other pieces like Ware, who I question his motor. You're also trying to replace truly a do-it-all player in Trace Jackson Davis. I know right. you brought up the term addition by subtraction. I don't think there's you can even consider that notion with Trace Jackson Davis, even though nope. he had the ball in his hands a lot. It was worthwhile for Indiana in a ton of different ways, especially in transition. So, yeah, I'm very high on Maryland. I think there's a true shot they can win this Big Ten conference. And I don't know about ceiling with a seed, like maybe four, three, four, probably max three is their ceiling. But if they win the conference, they'll be in the somewhere in the conversation. And again, it's baked into the number, and that's kind of why I took it. Yeah, Jordan Geronimo reference, just fantastic. Just chef's kiss. Uh, someone who I have not given up on. Uh, really liked him coming out. I feel like there's a ton of untapped potential. Maybe a new setting, a new scenery will work well for him. Kevin Willard, I think maybe one of the best uh, best coaches in this conference and, and was really good, kind of outperformed expectations last season. You know, they, they make it to the NCAA tournament. You know, I think despite in the, in the preseason, you know, people really had no expectations for this team, exactly what they would be. They go in and earn an eight seed. I think have some like real momentum, some some positive optimism going into next season. Bring back I, Jameer Young, who I who you mentioned at the top is um, is really good. Julian Reese is fantastic, a big man who I think will give them kind of a foundational piece to build around. And then the the recruiting class that they have coming in is around you know top twenty, depending on where you look. Um, a couple four stars coming in. I think they'll fill in some depth pieces. This is a this is a roster that when I talked to uh, Bill Self several years ago when 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 they won the national championship in uh, 21, 21, 22. Yeah. yeah. Um, he talked about kind of the ideal way to to build your roster and was basically saying like you have to juggle the transfer portal, you have to juggle like how you handle uh, top end high school recruits. And then juggle like guys who you've maybe are, are veterans on your roster. Like you have to have like this really solid, like formulaic mix of how you create this team. And Maryland, like if you just kind of look at the pieces on paper, kind of check a lot of boxes for like what could end up working. Like I'm not entirely sure. We, we talked earlier about Villanova and how like, you know, there's a lot of pieces that will have to click and gel and, and it's definitely a bet. Like there's going to be seven new pieces on this Maryland roster. Like there's a lot that could go right. There's a lot that could go wrong, but talent wise, like I, I really like the pieces that Maryland has, has brought in to kind of rejuvenate this roster. I really like Kevin Willard, uh, the big 10 generally, I, I do feel like is kind of open. Um, Three or four seed, like in the NCAA tournament, I think sign me up. I really like the value here. Um, it feels like Maryland is kind of a team that is that is being slept on and, and maybe overlooked a little bit. But um, yeah, I'm with you. Let's let's ride Maryland this season. I, I'm happy to join the train. Uh, I think we've been <laughs> on like Creighton. Uh, I know we were in on Alabama together. Um, let's be Terps this season. Yeah, yeah, I like it. I think it was two years ago. With Purdue and the Travion yes. Williams, Zach Eady thing, of course, kind of created a whole new storyline. By the way, I just want to go back to Purdue for anybody that's looking ahead to March. And we're a long ways away from betting on the 2024 NCAA tournament, not just futures, but single game bets. But two years ago, when Purdue ended up beating Texas, you mentioned that game earlier, lost to another Cinderella darling in St. Peter's in the Sweet 16. They trucked Yale in the first round after losing to North Texas the year yep. before that in the first round. I would lay any number with Purdue in the first round this year after what happened in the NCAA tournament. You know they're going to come out and dumpster, dumpster truck whoever they end up playing. So just a nugget there for anybody that that wants to join me in March. But you're truly on board with Maryland. That wasn't me just pushing you to the break. No, no, I'm, I'm there with it. I, and I was waiting for you to tease it because I'm like, oh, please, please say Maryland. Like, I actually thought you were maybe leading up to to give me some, like, Northwestern hype. And I'm like, man, no. don't, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. So Maryland, yeah, I'll be, I'll be a Terp with you this season. I'm very much in on the Terps. 
That's awesome. And he is Kyle Boone. You should follow him on Twitter, even though he doesn't want you to. At Kyle B. Boone. Be sure to check out his latest mock draft when that's up. Anything upcoming otherwise, Kyle, that our viewers and listeners should pay attention to? Uh, no, I, th- I think that's pretty much it. We have, uh, if, if people are interested in like NBA draft content, which we have a ton of at CBS Sports, uh, Tuesday night, believe it's at uh, 8 Eastern time, CBS Sports HQ, which you can find at cbssports.com, I think forward slash live. Um, just type in CBS Sports HQ. We're going to have a mock draft special with myself, uh, Adam Finkelstein, who's the director of scouting for 247 Sports, and then Gary Parrish, who's who's the great college basketball writer for for CBS Sports, kind of leads our team. Um, so that'll be a fun uh, one-hour mock draft special show. We'll, we'll make picks as quasi-GMs uh, going through the entire first round. And uh, so, yeah, if you're looking to uh, kind of figure out, get, a, get a, a pulse for how things look right now, or at least how we think things look, um, that will that will be kind of a fun way to uh, to dive into the NBA draft. It's only a couple couple weeks away. It's crazy. It's coming up real quick. Yeah, the NBA Finals starting tonight. If you're listening or watching this on Thursday, we have a ton of NBA Finals content as well, betting previews and the like over at thelines.com and NBA betting videos too to check out on the Lines YouTube channel and remember to subscribe give the video a thumbs up and ring the bell for more notifications when we release upcoming sports betting content thanks for watching and listening to another edition of beat the closing number you can follow the lines on twitter at the lines us you can follow me on twitter at eli herskovich so long everybody 